Christ is a king like no other. And that he speaks the, the truth plainly and clearly no matter what the cost. And we'll see that as we look at some passages that, that speak to, to Jesus speaking the truth. Um, as uh, mentioned earlier this summer, we're walking through Jesus' favorite words. We went through the Gospels to see what were the words Jesus used the most. And this one was number eight, truly. Uh, as regularly, he would use this as the preface to his teachings. You know, truly, I say to you, very truly, I say to you. And, and what Jesus is meaning when he says that he is truly speaking, it's not just that what he's saying is valid. It's that. It's not only that he's saying that, that he's committed to what he's saying, that he will do what he says. But even what he says brings meaning and purpose and the fullness of life. It's true in every sense of the word. Jesus is speaking to us as God in the flesh. Speaking to us the truth of the creator in ways that we humans can understand. Let's pray together. Gracious God, give us ears to hear. Um, help us to, to, to set aside uh, what we hold that is not true. Help us to, to hear fresh and anew from you this day. And bring about in the power of your spirit a commitment to your truth. In the name of Jesus we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Our uh, passages, uh, oh, first couple passages we want to look at it are John uh, chapter 14 and John chapter 5. John chapter 14, 6. Um, it's on the screen and invite you to, let's, let's say this together. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then John chapter 5, verse 24. Let's say this together as well. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And it's this, this very truly that, that he says over and over again that may be really the, the one statement of Jesus that is totally original to him. Because most of what he says, if not all, are, are, is quoting from the Old Testament and at, at best then extrapolating from it. I mean, he really didn't say much new. Simply brought out what the scriptures before had, had said and applied them in light of his life and death and resurrection. But this saying, truly I say to you, is one that is found nowhere else in the Bible, except from his lips. It's found nowhere else in the uh, uh, history of Judaism. It's found nowhere else in the early church. This word, truly I say to you, is Jesus' unique statement 
And I, I propose to you that what, it's why it's so unique is because it's so bold. And that only one who is God in the flesh could say it with such meaning. Truly, I say to you, hear these words and do them and you will find life. And that's what Jesus is saying when he uses that preface to his statements. Hear these words. They are real. Do them and you will find life. And we see that in Jesus, that he, he lived, he was, his words were true, and he was true to his word. No one else can that be said of with such clear, precise accuracy than Jesus. Not me and not you. I mean, we might be able to speak the truth most of the time, uh, but then... Because I grow tired or weary, I'm overwhelmed, I get busy, I get scared, I don't do the truth. But with Jesus, what he spoke is what he did. And it brought life, it brought meaning, it brought purpose. Now, in our day and age, we may hear a lot of arguments around the word truth. I mean, that is a bold, exclusive claim of Jesus to say, I am the way and the truth and the life. If we wanted to retranslate it for today, we might say, well, maybe he just meant I am a way, a truth, a life. And and you may hear in conversations around, you know, there's... No such thing as absolute truth. Now, we just have come to the day where that's not true. You know, there's just there's no such thing as absolute truth. Well, I, I propose to you to consider that that very statement is really contradicts itself because it is an absolute truth. Right? I mean, to say there are no such things as absolute truth. Well, do you mean that absolutely? If so, then it's an absolute truth. So it sort of goes around in in circles. Similarly, you might hear folks say to you, it's impossible to know the truth. You know, we can't know the truth because we're limited and we're just from our own perspective and so we can't know the truth. Well then, again, that sort of begs the question, well then, how do you know that's true? Again, it's sort of a circular... But reasoning today, and when we argue about and debate what is truth and distraction techniques of our age, just to say, well, there's no such thing as absolute truth, or there's no way for us to know the truth. I just simply propose to you to say, there's just no reason to get into those kind of arguments and debates. But just to say, well, can't we at least agree we can know something? We can know that things are true. So let's, let's simply share what have we found. What have you found that is true in your life? Instead of arguing about whether or not we can talk about it, let's just talk about it. What have you found that is true in your life? I invite you to uh, John chapter 8, verse 53. 
And we'll, we'll see that you know, these kind of bold claims and exclusive claims, they, they got Jesus in trouble. They got Jesus in trouble, especially with the religious leaders of his day, just as they get the church that's following him, then they get Jesus, they get the Bible in trouble today. But it's eight, uh, chapter 8, starting with verse 53. And what Jesus has just said is he's just said to a group of religious leaders that if anyone believes in me, they will not die. What we already read. Again, rather exclusive, bold, arrogant claim that someone could make. Believe in me and you will not die. And so the religious leaders, pushing back on Jesus, these are uh, their words. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? The prophets also died. Who do you claim to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. He of whom you say, He is our God. Though you do not know Him. But I know Him. If I would say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him. And I keep his word. Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. These kind of bold, exclusive claims of Jesus do not sit well in our day. It didn't sit well then. I mean, they were ready. They started looking for the biggest stones and it wasn't to add to his rock collection. It was in reaction to Jesus' bold and exclusive claims. But I I want to propose to you, though, another thought. That in our current context to debate the realities of truth and epistemological reality and all those kind of things, it's not a waste of time. But I just got to tell you, I've never argued or debated or even discussed these things with anybody and it really have much impact. I mean, just yesterday morning, Jehovah's Witnesses came to my front door. And we uh, got into a a nice discussion, argument, debate over things. And after about 30 minutes, they said, wow, well, thank you, you know. know, I'm sure it's not often that somebody pulls out Greek words to describe what things mean in in the, the Gospels and stuff with them. And they, well, it's nice talking to you. Appreciate that you know what you know. We'll talk to you later. And they went on their way. So in our context, I don't think that those kind of of arguments... They have their place. They're really important and significant for us. But what I think is most significant about Jesus being the truth is how that truth is lived out in our lives. How we have experienced the truth of Jesus. How we have experienced that indeed He is the way, the truth, and the life. How, how we have experienced 
the significance in our own lives of, of Jesus' faithfulness, of his, of his goodness, that what he said does have direct correspondence to what is real, that what he, that what he teaches has his faithfulness, his commitment behind it, and that when we do it, it, it leads to life, life to the full. I asked um, Carol Brown simply to share a story of how have you said, how have you experienced that Jesus is true? How is he true with you? And and as she's sharing, invite each of us simply to answer that same question. What are the stories of how Jesus is true to us so that we can simply share that story with others? That has impact. That is compelling to those that don't know him. Mm-hmm. As I look at you this morning, you can uh, go ahead and eat it. So Not we can hear you. enough to be up here with <laughs> Just think of it as an ice cream cone. Yeah. yeah. As I look at you this morning, many of whom I've worshipped with for years, I know that you could easily take my place up here and give your own story about God's faithfulness. But there were three things in my life that as I tried to distill my life into five minutes um, of ways that God really worked in me especially And the first one was at 29 years of age, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. One day I was fine, took my second grade class on a field trip, walked two miles each way to the fire station. The next day I could not get myself dressed. It was stunning uh, how quickly things deteriorated in my life. I just, I couldn't grasp it. It was like all of a sudden I was in a deep, deep, dark pit. Pat Hartsock, when he was here as pastor, said there is a word in the Hebrew that means pit, pit. It is such a deep pit with such straight sides, you can never climb out of it or get out of it anyway. That's the way I felt. And during that time, I had no choice but to crawl into God. Did I pray for healing? I absolutely did. I begged God for healing. Did my family pray? Yes. I went to a smaller church than this. They were all praying for me. My dad's minister friends and their wives were praying for me. And But God did not lift this. And so for 43 years, I have lived with this disease. And it it's not a fun disease. But during that time, I crawled into the Word right to it. Adam will take care of it. Okay. He'll back it down. Okay. Um, I, I lived in the 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th chapters of John. I found that as I lost myself in the word and in God and as I thanked him and, and praised him for who he was, even though my body was deteriorating and crippling. My spirit blossomed. 
And it was really an amazing experience, and I have experienced that all through my life. And I remember talking to Dr. Cecil Craig when he had lymphoma. Some of you remember him. And I said, you know, Cecil, it's almost as if I feel sorry for people who haven't suffered because they don't know God in this way that he becomes larger than life, larger than pain, larger than any kind of suffering uh, that you have. And as I look at you, I know in saying that, I look at Tink and I know she lost a son. Suddenly she lost a husband. And I think I haven't experienced that kind of pain, but I bet if Tink were up here, she'd say, God was faithful to me. God ministered to me. The second thing that rocked my life, seven years after I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, my healthy husband, 36 years old, uh, got suddenly very ill, was taken to the hospital, was there for a week. They couldn't diagnose him. He was scheduled for exploratory surgery. The night before surgery, he called from the hospital. I had been there, left at 7. It was right near Christmas, and I had a few things left to do. About 11, he called from the hospital. He said, I think I'm dying. Something is weird is going on inside me. It's like something exploded, and I don't, they won't listen to me. They, they tell me I'm having a panic attack. Well, to make a long story short, um, they did the surgery the next day, and the, surgery, the surgeon came up in the middle of surgery to talk to me. It wasn't in the waiting room. We were up in the room. He came. And he said, I'll tell you what happened. He had a tumor on the kidney, kidney and it ruptured last night. And that was all what was going on with him. And two days later, the surgeon came in and said, it was a malignant tumor. Well, you can imagine the fear that swamped me. You know, I saw the big C word and, and I, I, I was just stunned. And... Um, I knew all those cancer cells were floating in his body all through the night and, and everything. And you know, that was in 1976, and God healed him, and he's never had any trouble since that time. And it was, uh, I learned in that period that everything in my life was always going to be changing, and that God was the stable part of my life, that he was my rock. He was the one that I was to cling to while everything around me was moving and shaking. And it would always be that way. And I learned that even though Satan wants to overwhelm us with fear and just swamp our little boats in the storm, Jesus is there right in the midst of where we are. And he stands up and says, peace, be still. And Again, it was a most amazing experience. It was like we were wrapped in a cocoon of God's love. And um, God was so faithful uh, to us during that time. The third thing that rocked my life considerably, we had had a stable marriage, a loving home, and my two sons um, were wonderful sons, but the younger of the two uh, in his senior year in high school got off track and he started dabbling in drugs, and I was floored. I was literally floored. I, I had no depth of experience in this, and this was back in, this, in uh, 
you know, a while. And, <laughs> and anyway, that was when I learned that there is a lot of spiritual warfare that, uh, and there was only one way to confront it, and that was to stake myself on God's word. I had prayed scriptures over that prayer since the time he was born. I was just stunned that he would move away in, in, in a different direction. And so I would come home from school and, and get dinner on the table, and my husband went downstairs to watch the news. And I, even though I'd had my quiet time in the morning, I would take my Bible and I would open to the scriptures and I would say, God, you promise me, you promise me, I'm staking myself on this word. It says here, it says here. And I would walk the floor and I would pray. And it was during that time that God gave me the 24th Psalm. He is the King of glory. He is the Lord strong and mighty. He is the Lord mighty in battle. And folks, he is. He is mighty in battle. And he, um, he is Lord. All authority and rule is given to him. And so I learned that during that time that in spiritual warfare, Jesus Christ is a formidable warrior. And he will war with you and for you and against Satan. And he will overrule every scheme of Satan if you let him. And so... This morning, I would just encourage you, no matter where you are in life and how much storm there may be in your life, and as I look at you, I know a lot of you are my age or even older, we know that we don't know what the future holds. We know that things are changing within us. We know that we're out, we're not in control, and we have to look to God. We have to stake ourselves on his word. My encouragement to you would be, if you're not in the word fully, get in the word. Find God's character. Stake yourself on the word, and he will bring you through with flying colors. Thank you. That uh, psalm just before the 24th, that familiar one, the 23rd psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the promise isn't to walk around it. There's no detour through the valley of the shadow of death. It is through that he is true. And, and friends, you may have stories as dramatic as that or, or not as dramatic as that, but get it, what are those stories and share them? Those that, of you that have had experience with Jesus, you have found Him to be true. You, it is incumbent upon you to get in touch with those stories and share them with those who haven't. How else will we know? How else will our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren know that Jesus is true? Unless you get in touch with the ways He's been true to you and share that with others. What we want to know in this age, in this age, 
We need applications that relate to shopping. We want to know, is the product as good as the claim? And the only way folks will know that Jesus is true to what he claims is for those who've been walking with him to share their stories with others. That's how they'll know that he's true. Amen.